Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everybody. Today, Rado talks through episode 33 of the podcast. And this is going to be a big one because there is a big, big announcement that I've got to make that's affecting me and Jen and our lives and potentially the show. But I'm going to be a total jerk and save it for a little bit later in the podcast because Jen's not here right now and I want her to weigh in on the topic as well. So, As always, first of all, we're going to do some new games of interest, and then we'll revisit a top 10 topic. And then once Jen is with me, before we hit the Q&A, we'll make the announcement. So hold on for that. But first, let's get through some new games. Okay, everybody. So, it sounds like you didn't just fast-forward directly to the Q&A section. I appreciate it, because there's some cool-looking games coming. First off, we've got Race to the Newfound Land, which I guess you could also pronounce as Race to the Newfoundland. This is a game from the publisher and designers of Helios, which was a very, very cool Euro-style game that came out a few years ago that kind of flew under the radar. There's actually quite a bit to like there. And it was kind of a shame it didn't get more love and you know maybe some expansion material and whatnot. But instead of an expansion, although actually I think it did get a little expansion, wasn't there like a little mini one? Or I mean anyway though, hardly matters because right now we're talking about Race to the Newfoundland, which is not really too terribly much known, unfortunately, but it is about the colonization of North America. And yeah, Helios was great. So, I'm definitely down for learning more about this. It'll be coming in the not-too-distant future, I think. So, hopefully, more information will be coming soon. But in the meantime, let's move on to the next game, Forum Trajanum, which is designer Steffenfeld once again teaming up with... Was it Michael Renick, I believe? The designer of the Pillars of the Earth series of games, and uh, these two guys got together last year to put out Merlin, which Jen and I enjoyed immensely. We thought it was a fantastic game. And while I haven't done a run-through for it yet, Michael Renick's most recent game, which is the third in the Pillars of the Earth trilogy, oh, I can't think of the name of it right now, and from where I'm sitting, I can't see it in the big stack of games I have to film. Let's see if I can go find the name of that game. Oh, what is it? It is Column of Fire. Column of Fire. Spoiler alert for the run-through I'll inevitably do for it, is really, really great. Merlin, when Feld and Renick teamed up, really, really great. So, you can imagine how excited I am that these guys are teaming up again at what is effectively going to be a spiritual sequel to Trajan, which for a lot of people is Feld's best game of all time. In fact, I think it's Jen's favorite Feld game. Mm. No, no, no. I think she puts Amerigo above Trajan, but it'd be her second favorite. And I think it's my second favorite Feld after Castles of Burgundy. So, 
Feld is teaming up again with a really good collaborator, going back to one of his greatest hits and going to do something completely new. I cannot wait to find out more about Form Trajanum. Then we've got a another super masterful designer, Reiner Knizia, is going to be revisiting the well once more with Lost Cities to go. So Lost Cities, I think, it's not too controversial to say it might be the most well-regarded couples game on the market. For good reason. I mean, it's just absolutely phenomenal two-player-only game that could serve as a wonderful gateway into the modern designer board game arena. And, you know, it's been well, well-loved for a long, long time. And now Kanichia is going back, revisiting it, and doing something new with it. Now, that's interesting. This is the second time, because I believe, I've never played it, but he did Lost Cities, the board game, which, as I understand, it was nowhere near as well-regarded as the original Lost Cities. This new one, not much detail about it, but apparently it has to do with tile-laying rather than card-playing. And one person says it looks like it's a variant to another one of his games, uh, Keltus. It's taking some of the ideas of Keltus, I guess, and applying to Lost Cities. I don't know, but I'm definitely going to be there because the good doctor demands respect. He knows what he's doing. And considering how great his recent revisits to, um, oh, what were they? The, oh, I'm just drawing a blank. All I can think about uh, is, oh, our big announcement. All right, oh, Medici, those are really great. Uh, apparently, he re recently redid the Through the Desert. So, he's been on a roll of bringing new stuff to some of his old design. Oh, yeah, there's, uh, you know, so, Lost Cities to Go, definitely interested as well. While it doesn't officially make my list, I should also mention in passing that this year, he's also going to be revisiting Tigers and Euphrates, which Jen loved. But Jen's more cutthroat than me. For me, it was far too warlike. But, and I don't remember the name of the new Tigers and Euphrates sequel, but that's coming too, folks. But anyway... Back to games I am excited about. Uh, nothing against Tigers and Euphrates. Amazing, brilliant design. But let's talk about Forbidden Sky. Oh my gosh, if this had been announced a month ago, it would have easily made my top five, probably my, my top three most anticipated games of the year. Because this is Matt Leacock's sequel to Forbidden Island and then especially Forbidden Desert. Forbidden Desert's in my top 20 of all time. It made my top 10 Desert Island games. And while I wasn't that keen on Forbidden Island. It was just a little bit too light. Forbidden Desert was just about perfection. He's finally going back to the Forbidden, and I don't know if this is going to be the capper of a trilogy or if he's going to keep on going. I keep looking forward to, um, you know, to Forbidden Caverns, and hopefully we have a long uh, you know, line of Forbidden games still awaiting us, but next up is Forbidden Sky, and it's interesting. The publisher, Game Right? has said nothing about the gameplay. All they've done is released a teaser trailer. Like, this was a major motion picture release, and I gotta say, it was amazing to me just how impactful it was. I mean, it, it shows nothing but just little hints of little art. It says it's electrifying. It says nothing, and yet it's got me so excited! Oh my gosh, Forbidden Sky. Height of Danger is the full title. Then, we gotta mention... Post-Human Saga. Now, I actually did a run-through for Post-Human when it was on Kickstarter. And 
even though it was not my style of game, it was very Ameritrashy, lots of dice rolling, combat stuff, a big focus on narrative, I was really impressed with some of the core gameplay design elements, particularly the ones that had to do with kind of social interaction between players. I thought they were really, really brilliant, so I was very impressed by the game. So this is basically the sequel, Post-Human Saga, and where Post-Human was kind of a shifting alliances, sometimes it's competitive, sometimes it's um, you know, uh, team versus team. My understanding is Saga is more of a, a straight-up competitive game, and while it keeps the same you know, post-apocalyptic setting and the really, really strong emphasis on narrative gameplay, it's replacing the Ameritrashy style stuff with more Euro style gameplay. And because of that, I am very, very interested. Because again, I thought the original design was great, just wasn't our kind of game. It sounds like this will be more up Jen's and my alley. So I'm very keen to learn more about Post-Human Saga. Then, oh, you know what? There's a lot of expansions in this month. Let's talk about a whole big list of expansions, starting with, well, it's kind of standalone kind of expansion, the next chapter, the third chapter in the Deckscape series of Escape Room in Your Home games. I've already done run-throughs for the first two of Deckscapes, and they were fantastic. I've already gone on record saying I think Deckscape is my favorite of the Escape Room series. That's compared to Unlock and Exit the Game and, oh, the Virtual Reality one and all that. I, For my money, Deckscape has been the most impressive in terms of design. So, not surprisingly, I'm very excited for the third one, Deckscape Heist in Venice. But, um, if that weren't enough, there's new information about the next Time Stories chapter as well. I don't know what it is. It's apparently the the Hadal project, H-A-D-A-L project. And what's interesting about this one is it's actually set in the future, not the past. It's set in 2099, which means I guess the main storyline of Time Stories must be even further in the future than 2099. So that's really, really cool. After you know, just this string of going back to various time periods, to go into the future and see something really new and different is very, very intriguing. Another interesting thing about this one is that apparently it was originally done as kind of like a fan expansion. I think, I'm not quite sure about this, but the developers and publishers of Time Story liked it so much they decided to pick it up and make it a full-fledged continuation of the, of the storyline, which is absolutely fantastic. Can't wait. Heck, maybe it'll be the thing that actually tells the story of how humankind invented the time travel in the first place. I don't know, maybe that's what the mysterious Hadel project is. But long story short, I'm very excited. Also, sometime in the next month or so, folks, you should be hearing my, or seeing my new talk through of the most recent Time Stories uh, adventure, Estrella Drive, a very, very interesting one. Look forward to that coming soon on the channel. Then, back to expansions. The Captain is Dead Lockdown. I've already done a run-through for that wonderful Star Trek-inspired cooperative game, The Captain is Dead. I should say, I didn't do for the original version of it, which has been available on... Oh, what's it called? 
the uh, the the really oh, gamecrafter.com. If you, for folks who don't know, check out the gamecrafter.com. It is a very very cool website that allows anybody anybody to publish their board game designs. Uh, you come up with a design, you go to the site, you use a lot. You, you have to provide your own art, but it comes with tools that let you create uh, you know customized pieces and dice and uh, you all kinds of things. And so people have been using this platform for years to make and publish their own games. I've always really respected it. It's always been kind of a problem because living in Europe, you have to pay really bad, in my experience, really bad uh, import duty taxes whenever you order something from a game crafter. So I had known about The Captain is Dead for a long time, but I never saw it out because I didn't want to pay the import taxes, the, the duty on it, the customs on it. But... Last year, was it? AEG picked it up for a kind of a deluxification reprint that Jen and I fell in love with. Lovely game. Maybe a little bit too much on the long side. We'd like it to be a little bit shorter, but still, as Star Trek fans, we thought it was fantastic. You can go check out my run-through to see why. So... On the Game Crafter, there's already been two expansions released for it. So they've been available for the original edition, but the first of these expansions, Lockdown, is now going to be coming out with a big deluxified reprint as well. I'm really excited about it because it's still a cooperative game, but what it does is it adds the notion of the ship being taken over by aliens who will now patrol through the corridors, and players have to be careful about how they move so as to not get caught because their base, the ship is on lockdown. We're occupied, and we're like launching a resistance to take the ship back. Thematically, that sounds really, really cool. I can't wait to see how it works. Now, I have read some reviews of the original Game Crafter, edition of this expansion, that it became a little bit too fiddly, a little bit too much bookkeeping to move the aliens around. So I don't know, maybe that's true, maybe it's been cleaned up a bit. I, I, I can't wait to find out, because we love the core game, and I'm looking forward to seeing more with The Captain is Dead, Lockdown. Then we move on to Clank, The Mummy's Curse. For all the folks last year who were outraged that the existence of Clank and Spates meant that their investment in Clank was wasted because there would be no expansions for Clank. And like, folks, I don't get that. Clank is fun in and of itself, even if it never got another expansion. It doesn't mean Clank is not fun. But for people who were worried about that, never fear. The Mummy's Curse is coming. And hey, this is another expansion to a... Co a co well, actually, it's a competitive game in this case. But another expansion that adds the core element of game-controlled non-player characters who are moving around independently on the board that have to be avoided. Uh, this time, it's the Mummy who will be traipsing around the dungeon as we try to sneak around and steal stuff. Sounds cool. Um, you know, loved Clank in space. Still love Clank. All of it fits in my original Clank box. Hopefully, the Mummy's Curse will all fit in one box as well. That's my only worry, because otherwise, this is a must-get, sight unseen, Clank, the Mummy's Curse. Then we've got Fields of Green Grand Fair. Now, if you're a longtime fan of the show, you know Jen and I loved Adored Among the Stars as, you know, really kind of seven wonders popularized card drafting years ago in a big, big way. And Among the Stars was kind of like the first big follow-up to that that kind of also got people saying, wow, card drafting. Not, not that Seven Wonders or Among the Stars invented card drafting. I mean, it's been around a lot longer than that. Like Notre Dame was my first introduction to it, and that was amazing. Not surprisingly, because it was from Stefan Feld. But anyway... Um, Among the Stars was great. It got a lot of expansion content. I picked it all up, you know, really enjoyed it. But then 
the original designer publisher went back to the core premise of Among the Stars and rejigged it, rethemed it, and made Fields of Green, which is set in kind of a 1950s Americana farming uh, setting. Uh, it was the same basic idea. Instead of building a space station, you were building a farm. Uh, and instead of spreading energy around to run the station, you were spreading water around to grow the crops. And the big thing that it added was the notion of upkeep. That at the end of every round, you had to make sure you had the right resources in the right place to kind of harvest stuff from the board you were making through the card drafting. And I have to admit, that was such a huge improvement, such a big step for the Among the Stars formula, that it broke my heart. I got rid of all my Among the Stars stuff and doubled down on Fields of Green. And I was worried at the time. I guess I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the same thing I was just complaining about with Clank. Uh, I was worried about it too. That Did I make the right choice? Should I have stuck with Among the Stars? Well, I am rewarded, folks, because Field of Green is getting its first expansion, Grand Fair. I don't know what's in it. I don't care. Fields of Green is amazing, and it's going to get even better now with its first big box expansion, Grand Fair. Then, oh, this is a surprise. It just kind of came around really, really quick. Last year, another card drafting game that came out right around Essen time was Paper Tales. Fantastic little game. Kind of took the military aspect from Seven Wonders focused on that and made a much bigger, deeper, richer game that Jen and I enjoyed a lot. Even though it's a drafting game that really focuses on players kind of in direct conflict, which is kind of a no-no for us, we really like the base game. And now it's getting its first expansion very, very quickly. Obviously, the publisher has a lot of confidence in this one. And so Paper Tales, Beyond the Gates will be coming soon. A whole bunch more content, which is fantastic. Another big surprise. I didn't see this one coming at all. Viceroy, Times of Darkness. Now, I did a run-through for this years ago. The original Russian version of this game from Hobby Games. And wow, an absolutely amazing game. It made my top 10 of that year. Jen and I loved the really clever puzzly. It's a card drafting game, again, different type of drafting, and you're trying to get cards to build this kind of pyramid of power, where you're laying down the base, then building a successive levels. Really, really sharp game. So puzzly, so fun. Gorgeous production. And um, yeah, we loved it. It eventually got picked up by GameSleuth, got a wider... And you know, I know a lot of people love it. I know some people said that at higher player counts, apparently it didn't work because the card drafting, I guess, could get a little bit too confrontational. Jen, I didn't really run into a problem with that as a two-player game. Maybe there's issues with higher player counts. I'm not sure. But, hey, out of nowhere, Times of Darkness. More content for an already fantastic game. And who knows? Maybe they'll do something to address whatever the complaints were about higher player counts. I don't know. I've only ever played as a two-player game. Viceroy is a fantastic two-player game. It's going to get even better with Times of Darkness. I think, anyway. Then, we've got Valeria Card Kingdom's Shadow Veil. Now, as I believe, as of today, when this... When this podcast is going live. This is on Kickstarter right now. Of course, you'll be able to get it in retail channels later. Valeria Card Kingdoms is great. For me, it was the game I wanted Machi Koro to be, but wasn't. A really, really fun roll dice, build up your tableau to activate cards, to get resources, to get more cards. Really lovely, wonderful engine builders. Actually, I, I recently uh, listed Valeria Card Kingdoms in my top 10 next step games. Or 
No, no, no. Was it next step? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a next step off of if you've played Catan, try this next. And actually, I've gotten some feedback from people that said they tried it and they, it was fantastic. It was a huge hit. So, yay. Anyway, like I said, Valeria Card Kingdoms, great, great stuff. Shadow Veil on Kickstarter right now. Another expansion for it, I assume, adds great stuff. And interestingly, if you back on the Kickstarter, apparently there's a very limited run Relics mini expansion you'll be able to get as well. I guess you'll be able to get it after release, but not through regular retail channels. So that might, so it's semi-exclusive, not fully exclusive, but that might be something to pay attention to. If you like Valeria Card Kingdoms, get to the Kickstarter page quick um, you know, so you can get the most out of it. But moving along, okay, it's my last expansion of the month. I promise, folks, but it's a big one. Great Western Trail rails to the north. Wow. Great Western Trail for a lot of people was game of the year. It just barely missed my top 10, if I recall correctly, and I outraged a lot of people. It was my number 11. But great, great game from Alexander Pfister, one of the hottest modern board game Euro designers on the market. Maybe the hottest, in all honesty. And so this is the first. It's a, it's a full expansion, not a little mini thing, that adds a whole bunch of new... Gameplay content, basically, in the original Great Western Trails, the, once you got your cattle to, where was it, Kansas City, I think, from Texas, you just put it on the train, and, and the train of, of shipping it out further west was largely abstracted. It was just kind of like a, a, a progress track. Now, the rails have their own whole board, and it adds a whole other chapter to the gameplay. Once you've got your cows on the train, you're not done with them. Now, you've got to continue the journey of those cows to their final destination with stop-off points and, and building a rail network and stuff. I'm not quite sure. There's not much information. This literally just got announced within the last day or two, but still... Great Western Trails is amazing. Alexander Pfister is amazing. I expect Rails to the North will be amazing too. Okay, and we're almost out, but three more full games that I haven't mentioned yet. One is Luxor from Rudiger Dorn, Mr. Goa, Mr. Istanbul, Mr. Karuba. I mean, Rudiger Dorn... Um, you know, he, he, his name isn't quite as flashy as your Uwe Rosenbergs and your Steffenfelds in the Euro market, but man, this guy has such an amazing track record of quality designs. Whenever a new one comes out, you got to pay attention. And so he's teaming up with Queen Games for something to do with exploring um, ancient Egyptian temples, I guess. I don't know much, um, but you, you had me at Dorn. So that's Luxor. Then there's... Coimbra, which I I think that's how you pronounce it, C-O-I-M-B-R-A, Coimbra. This is interesting. Eggerspiel, a, a little mom-and-pop German Euro game publisher. Every year, they put out a game or two that's absolutely phenomenal. Um, Peter Eggert, the, the, you know, the head honcho of Eggertspiel, has got to have one of the best noses for board game design in the industry. An Eggertspiel game you always knew was going to be fantastic. It just, it just guaranteed. And uh, recently... He, they announced a merger between him and Plan B Games, who recently put out Azul and stuff like that. So, Eggert is, um, you know, and in the past, Eggert would 
uh, you know, work with other publishers like Pegasus and stuff like that, uh, uh, Stronghold Games. But now Agard has gone into, has, has hit the big leagues. Uh, he's got a new redesigned logo. I think we're going to be seeing more output from him and the first big game coming from this new partnership between Eggert and Plan B. Is, you know, also the publishers of Splendor. Uh, um, anyway, is Coimbra. And, okay, so I was interested because of, you know, the mover and shakers. Hey, uh, you know, a, a very, very big melding of minds. Well, that's all very cool. But even if there wasn't that interesting behind-the-scenes board game industry shakeup going on, what really attracted me to this, besides the really gorgeous art I see from the cover art, is... In the description on BoardGameGeek, it promises innovative, innovative dice drafting with multi-use dice. Okay, you got me. I'm going to be there for Coimbra. And now the last one, wow. This thing sounds absolutely amazing. It's called Holding On the Troubled Life of Billy Care, which is K-E-R-R, -R, in case you want to look it up. Holding On the Troubled Life of Billy Care. You know what? I'm not even going to try and describe it. There's not much uh, said. Uh, interestingly, one of the co-designers of is Michael Fox of the Little Metal Dog Show fame, a great podcast for board games. Michael's a fantastic guy. He's co-designing this with, um, I believe, one of the guys he works with on Rory Story Cubes. But all that aside, I'm not, I'm, you know, that's beside the point. I didn't even realize when I first put this on the list that Michael is involved. Here's why I put this on the list. I'm just going to read you the game description on BoardGameGeek and tell me this doesn't sound amazing. Here we go. All you know is this. His name is Billy Kerr. He's 60. He was admitted to your hospital following a massive heart attack on a flight from Sydney, Australia. Doctors give Billy days to live, but he's hanging on as if he can't or won't let go. Piece together Billy's troubled past to finally reveal the three hidden memories that keep him holding on. Holding on, the troubled life of Billy Care is a cooperative worker placement game featuring a compelling storyline that will be revealed as you play time and time again, and also allows players to replay all previous scenarios to learn more and improve upon past attempts. End quote. That is amazing sounding. And that's why I'm going to end with that for some new games of interest. Really, really cool stuff. And now, if you hold on for a bit, we'll be right back and revisit the uh, top 10 I put up just a few days ago, my top 10 best game productions. Man, that got a lot of feedback in a very short time. Hold on, everybody. Okay, everybody. Top 10 best produced games. I said right up front in that video that folks got to bear in mind this is going to be a very subjective list. Um, you know, and there's probably going to be a lot of diverging opinion. And wow, was there ever. I mean, I only put this up yesterday, and I think it's broken records for most responses I've gotten in a 24-hour period of time. Um, you know, and to be fair, most of them very positive, or just people listing their own suggestions and stuff like that. But so many people pointing out just a few games that it was an outrage that I skipped over. But 
I can only assume, well, first of all, I can assume a lot of people just don't even watch the video. They just look at the fact that I actually post it and then just make their own decisions um, without, uh, that why I was wrong just based on the list, not even knowing why I listed anything. That happens so often. It's frustrating. I often feel like I shouldn't even put the list of the games, but I know if I don't do it, somebody else will immediately put the list up, and they'll just post it out in public. At least when I put it up, I can make it spoiler tagged so people don't see it by accident if they don't want it. So that's why I do. But it always means I get a lot of just kind of raw gut reactions without even listening to why I've made my list. But sorry, was I just playing the world's smallest violin just for me? All right, long story short, let's talk about some of the games that did not make this list. And before, I mean, the, the, the elephant in the room I've got to talk about, of course, of course, is Scythe. So many people, and I'm sure for the next week, as more people discover this, I will get probably another two dozen people saying, Where's Scythe? Why Scythe? Scythe, Scythe, Scythe. Okay, folks, I have never played Scythe. I have never even seen Scythe in real life. I have no interest or desire to play Scythe. I know this is a real big problem for a lot of folks. Uh, It's such a big deal, I actually added an entire entry to faq.rado.com. It's entry number six, um, which is devoted to Scythe. Although I don't call the game out by name, just because I get it. I mean, six months don't go by where I don't get some big thread somewhere of why hasn't Rado covered Scythe? Why is he keeping the truth hidden about Scythe? Why doesn't he understand Scythe? Folks, I'm sure Scythe is great. I have no problems with it being in the top 10 games of all time on Board Game Geek's ranking list, etc., etc. It's just not for me and Jen. Um, but even if it was, based on my. Uh, metrics for how I made this list, I don't think it would have made the list anyway. One, I don't care that it comes with uh, gorgeous minis. Uh, are the minis that great? I'm not really sure. Again, I've never seen them in real life. But you know, it's kind of immaterial to me. I'm sure they're great. They look great in the pictures and the videos I've seen. And I know Scythe has amazing user interface. The graphic design of it is stellar. I totally get that. I've seen that. I respect that. admire that. But if I wanted... I mean, this was not top 10 user interfaces in board games. Uh, Scythe would very probably make that list. But as it is, you know, I'd, I'd probably have to give the nod to... To through the ages, which really kind of introduced this notion of, hey, let's put a whole bunch of cubes or pieces on our board, and as we take them off or move them around, it r- indicates that we have more actions or powers or resources available to us. That core idea is great. Here's the thing, and it's interesting. Maybe I didn't make this clear enough in the video, but there was a reason I chose the 10 games I chose and skipped a lot of really popular ones. And it's not just because I said I'm kind of disallowing miniatures. I'm not allowing the presence of high-quality miniatures to sway me in this. I, I, I mentioned that, and I kind of mentioned this as a repeating theme throughout the video, but I didn't realize until after I filmed the video what my real metric was. Because I, I admit... I had like 50 games I could have talked about that I really wanted to give credit to for just being amazing productions. And I'll talk about all those after I stop pontificating for a bit. And I had a hard time narrowing it down to 10. And I just kind of went with my gut. And it wasn't until after I saw the video and I started answering people's questions of why didn't you do X, Y, or Z that I realized I had a subconscious theme going on. And that was the fact I chose the 10 games where the production decisions made by the developers of the game most strongly impacted the quality of the gameplay experience. 
Not the presentation experience, not the aesthetic experience, not the atmosphere or the ambiance, all the things that really great components can do, that really great miniatures can do, can make the simulation come to life and feel more connected. That was not my metric. My metric was, where were their conscious production decisions, the choice of components, the, you know, the, or boards, or whatever it might be, that made the gameplay better? And that's why I came up with my 10. And that's why Scythe wouldn't. I don't care how great the minis are. Minis do not make gameplay better. They make the overall experience better, potentially, if they're good minis and all that. But they don't improve the quality of the gameplay. Because they don't do anything that a simple little cube or a cardboard token would do. So, anyway, that's why, as amazing as I'm led to believe the... A presentation and production of Scythe is, it wouldn't make my list. Because that game could be three times as ugly, and it wouldn't change the raw gameplay mechanisms of the game. At least, based on my understanding of the game. So that's why Scythe didn't make it. Another very popular, hey, what about, was Too Many Bones. Which I understand is an amazing presentation and production as well. Because it comes with dozens of really big, lovely, chunky custom dice for all the different characters in the game. And uh, you know, it's, 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 there's a ton of content in that gigantic box. Apparently it's huge, it's heavy. It's almost overwhelming with the bounty of goodies that spill out of that box when you get it. And I get that. Plus it has a really great organizing tray, I guess. There's a lot of great stuff about it. But again, none of those things have anything to do with what makes it a great gameplay experience. It could have had a really crappy presentation and production. You know, um, you know really lousy dice that you have to put stickers on or whatever it might be. Um, and I think it still would have been the same gameplay experience. Although, to be fair, I haven't played it. So that's the other reason I didn't make my list. So anyway. Um, but, so... Uh, the 10 I chose were more about how did the production improve and enhance the quality of the gameplay. So I'm still sticking with that list, but man, there were so many others I could have talked about. Um, some near misses, Kanban. I am amazed by the board of Kanban. How it is such a ridiculously complex Byzantine production chain that players have to go through, but... You know, but I guess it's like what I just said about Scythe. The, the user interface design of that game is so amazing. But in the case of Kanban, it's amazing in a way I haven't seen before. Scythe, I've seen that really amazing presentation style in other games. Scythe is building on the sh- on the, standing on the shoulders of giants, which is great. I'm a big, big proponent of that. But Kanban did some very, very clever things with how they did board design. So I almost gave that one a nod. I also almost gave Near and Far a nod, specifically for its... The board is a storybook, a, a series of... You, you flip the storybook to find out what your, your board is going to be. I mean, I have, pl- I have seen other games that try to give you a lot of boards... So you can play and, and play in a different environment every single time you play. Um, and Near and Far was the first time I'd seen this. I'm sure it's not the first one to do it. It's just the first one I'd seen. And it's done so well. Where the game comes with, like, what? It must be 15 different boards? 15, ex- adventures to explore? Um, because of the way they used that book. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Uh, since then, it's gone on to really good effect in Stuffed Fables, which I'll be doing a run-through for in February. Look for that soon. And um, So I almost put Near and Far on the list as well, but it just didn't quite make it. 
Um, but, you know, aside from, you know, really big gameplay impacting production decisions, there were plenty of other things that I wanted to call out, too. Like, a lot of people mentioned, hey, where's uh, Gallerist or Vinos Deluxe Edition? Or, um, you know, the, or, 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 you know, and I would have also added to that, Anachrony or Trakirian or Railways of the World or even Gloomhaven. There, there has been, um, you know, there are a lot of games out there that, again, when you open the box, you are just overwhelmed with the sheer size and scope and ambition of what they do, and it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, I, I, I had a bunch of those. I mean, uh, Charterstone, a, another one where it's just like, wow, look at all this amazing stuff. Um, you know, uh, the, the Pandemic Legacy games as well. Um, and I, I thought about those, and I came really close to including the you know the first Pandemic Legacy as well because again the production of that game and you know I guess I should give it to Risk Legacy except I never played that one. The production of that game allows for gameplay that couldn't exist in another way. But you know what? I'll be honest. Pandemic Legacy and Charter and uh, and Charterstone and Gloomhaven they've gotten enough love. Everybody knows about them already. And I'd just be kind of repeating what I said. I really wanted to call out games that maybe haven't gotten as much attention for the amazing production choices that were made. So those are kind of part of the reason. But um, you know, also. Uh, Gallerist is gorgeous. Uh, you know, the games of Mind Clash are amazing, mind-boggling productions. But again, it's not like they fundamentally change the core gameplay of their games. They could be smaller boards. They could be not quite so pretty or, you know, clean or elegant in their presentation and still be great games. So that's why those didn't make the list. I had a whole bunch of games that I just wanted to call out and give special thanks for in terms of their artistic production. Just, I mean, if I ever make a top 10 lovely games, I've got that list of games ready to go. In no particular order, you know, I gotta call out Raiders of the North Sea and uh, The Grizzled and London Dread and Fugitive, Big Book of Madness, Runebound 3rd Edition, uh, London 2nd Edition, Time Stories, Elysium, Lewis and Clark, Clans of Cal. Caledonia, Sentient. These games, that's more than 10, but you know, if I ever do a top 10 lovely games, uh, it'll, it'll probably be some combination of those because, man, those are some absolutely... You put them out on the board and, I mean, your heart just melts at how beautiful they are. Uh, and you know, that would be a good way to judge the overall production quality as well. But again, without even meaning to, I focused on the gameplay impact of production and none of those games, maybe London Dread, because of the way the app works. Oh, 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 man. I uh, broke my heart. One, I thought long and hard about putting it in at like number 10 or number 9, but I didn't in the end for one reason, is Tale of Pirates. Tale of Pirates definitely delivers on amazing production where the choices made really impact gameplay because, hey, this is a real-time game where you're using sand timers. This is not the first game that's done sand timers in a real-time game. There's plenty of other ones out there. But the fact that this was a game where not only were you putting sand timers down that are very easy, it's it's a fragile thing that they can get knocked over and it messes the game up, these kind of sand timer games. And so they said, hey, let's fix that problem by actually um, putting the sand timers in the pirate ship. You, you, the game comes with this really awesome 
cardboard pirate ship you build out of pieces. Really, really cool production. You might think, oh, they just did that to make a really cool pirate ship. But no, they did that to make the sand timer gameplay better because the sand timers don't actually get knocked over. And it also means the way that board is designed, you can actually rotate the entire ship. Um, you know, so imagine if they just tried to do this as a flat board where you're putting your sand timers on and it's a 2D board that represents the ship and you rotate it around. It wouldn't have worked. So they had to do this amazing production. So I really want to put Tale of Pirates on the board. Here's why I didn't. Because I am still, to this day, shocked and appalled that the brilliant app integration for that game, and it is absolutely phenomenal. Again, go watch the run-through. Jen and I are in the run-through together. It's great, great, great. I am still shocked that they have not implemented pausing in the app. And for me, that is such a criminal oversight. So bad... That I, I couldn't put it on the list. It's the only reason because they, um, because as good as the app is, as good as the production is, that one mistake is so egregious. I couldn't make. I couldn't give it a top ten because otherwise it would have ranked actually even higher. The more I think about it, it probably would have made, made even made the top five. Tale of Pirates production is so great, except for that criminal mistake of lack of pause in the app. But anyway. Lots of other games I could have called out for their physical production as well. Um, Pyrotunes is another example. I mean, I love, you know, you have this big gigantic treasure chest, you put the pieces in, it's indented so the things don't slide around, you flip it over and open the chest as part of the real-time gameplay. I love that. Oh, 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 yeah. This one maybe should have made the list. Um, Alchemists, a lot of people called this one out. I thought about it. It probably should make the list, but it didn't. In the same way, Tale of Pirates didn't because... Not because... The production design is brilliant. All the decisions made were great, but I had a first edition of Alchemist, and unfortunately, that first edition was plagued with bad production. The, uh, you know, the... the the, the what do you call it the rainbow thing in the background of the of the fold up design was offset so it didn't work and they had to give out stickers to fix that the pieces didn't you know the tokens for the reagents didn't fit in the holes and you had to kind of squish them in the overall intent of Alchemist was so brilliant, it probably should have made the list, but the actual implementation fell short. Now my understanding is with the second edition, everything was fixed. But I ended up getting stuck with the first edition. And so, because of those big missteps, I couldn't quite put it. And, and you know, but, it, you know, credit where credit's due. They fixed it all. They, um, they sent free of charge to anybody who asked, who had the first edition. And that includes me. F- stickers and um, updated components that fixed it. So, strictly speaking, like Tale of Pirates, it kind of deserves it. But I just didn't because of a stumble in the first edition production. But otherwise, Alchemist probably should have made the list. Tale of Pirates probably should have made the list. But, I mean, talk about other physical stuff. I love, um, oh, what, Otis and, oh, what's the other one? Coal Barons? These are both Euro games where the physical design of the boards is great because they kind of make the board a little bit more toy-like because there's these like grooves and slots and things that things go into. But they're not necessary. They're just nice Aesthetic additions, I love them, but again, they just didn't quite make sense based on my metrics. I really was tempted to put Jam Sumo on the board because every co- if you buy a copy of Jam Sumo, again, go check out my run through. That was handcrafted by a woodworker with love, and you know, and and that comes across. 
Gavin Birnbaum, you, know, you, you, you feel the, the, the care and the craftsmanship he put into those. So I really kind of wanted to include it, um, even though really it is just a block of wood with some, with some colored dice, but oh man, it's so lovely. Uh, speaking of uh, lovely wood, roll through the ages. You know, it, it didn't have to be the really cool, big, thick, heavy, chunky wooden pegboards and the, and the nice, lovely wooden dice, but that's great. The Forbidden Desert with all the pieces of the ship to come together and the really brilliant design of the sand pieces that lets you stack the sand up and creates this really great impression without compromising gameplay because you can still see what's underneath the sand. That was really sharp. Oh, um... Yeah, I love Rampage for its stackable buildings of meeples that you knock over. And uh, I love the, the uh, box for Dungeon Roll. This cool little neat treasure chest you get to open up. And you use it in gameplay as a treasure chest that you feel you go looting for. Absolutely awesome. Um, oh, uh, the captain is dead. I love the deluxification of that. And heck, the deluxification that TMG's been doing on a bunch of games recently. Yokohama, uh, Gentis, which is on right now. I mean, those are absolutely amazing. Oh, speaking of, um, Chimera Station. The snap-together, build-your-own-workers. That's really, really cool. I uh, really, really love it, too. Um, oh, Seventh Continent. I-, I talked about the brilliant save system in this war of mine, which made the list. Seventh Continent save system and the and the card trays, they're really brilliant as well. I thought about those long and hard. Um, oh, Pandemic the Cure. I love the plastic pegboard ring again. Really, really nice stuff. That, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, it functions. It, it, it serves multiple functions. That was really neat. Oh, the Onerim series of games. You know, yeah, they're just card games. It, it, you know, the, the art's lovely, but it's not that. But the presentation of the packaging of those games is so sweet and wonderful and charming. And I mean, and you got to give shouts out to Quadropolis with those awesome acrylic meeples. Man, those are amazing. The dice and roll for the galaxy. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I could just go on and on and on. Production on games these days is so absolutely stellar. I mean, and I didn't even talk about you know all those games were ones that didn't have anything to do with miniatures. You know, if you want to open up the door to miniatures, there are so many amazing miniatures being made today as well. It is a golden time for board game fans, everybody. So many wonderful, lovely things. But th- those are just a few that I thought about and ultimately rejected without even realizing why, uh, what my central thesis was. But I, I, there was a method to my madness, even if I didn't quite realize it until after the top 10 was done. But that's it, folks. A quick revisit to my top 10 best-produced games, at least based on my weird criteria. But anyway, folks, you have been patient long enough. Let's go on ahead and pause for a bit. When we come back, Jen will be here, and it'll be announcement time right after this. Okay, everybody, we are back. Jen is here. Daisy is on her lap. Gert is by my side. And you've been very, very patient. Although, should we wait until the end of the whole show for the announcement, Honey Pie? No, I don't know. That seems a little bit uh, too planned. They've waited this long. Surely they can wait till the end of our volume. No, okay, we'll tell you right now. (laughs) Uh, So here's the deal. We are moving back to the States. We are leaving Malta at long last. We've been in Europe for... 14 years. 14 years, give or take. And it is finally time to come home. And, uh, 
Yeah, it's going to be a big ordeal. We're <laughs> imagining we'll be leaving Malta at some point in March with a brief stopover in the UK where we will try to close up our life there that we left suddenly, whatever, four or five years ago to come here. And then we imagine sometime in May or June, we will be leaving the UK to go back to the Pacific Northwest, the Emerald City, Seattle, mm -hmm. and uh, move in with my mom. <laughs> well, no. Well, well, actually, our mom, suppose... my mom will move in with us. Yeah. More to the point. But we are going to live with her for a month or so while we... Exactly, yeah. We will move in with her in Belfair. We'll be there for a few weeks to a couple months, however long it takes to get all of her affairs in order. And then we will be moving over to Seattle. So that's the breakdown, pretty much. We, uh, there's a lot of unknowns at this point. And one big <laughs> unknown is what will happen with the show, Rado and all of that. Normally in April is when I do my yearly fundraising, but this year we'll be smack dab in the middle of... Chaos and moving. Yes, so I cannot imagine we'll be doing a fundraising drive in April or May or June. No. Maybe July. Maybe. Maybe we'll be settled down. Maybe we will have arrived and gotten comfortable by July. Maybe August. Uh, it's it's hard to say. Uh, we we haven't booked flights yet. We're still trying to figure out particulars. We're looking to see if it'll be possible if we're still in the UK in June to go to the UK Game Expo for the first time. And maybe Jen will take some glass. And heck, maybe I'll try to do a fire sale of half of our games because it's going to be expensive <laughs> to get is. them all the way back across the halfway across the planet. Yep. Uh, so that right now. We have more questions than answers, <laughs> and uh, we'll be working on those in the coming weeks. But hey, folks, FYI, we'll be leaving Malta very, very soon. Yeah. Yeah, very sad. We will mm. definitely miss it. This is definitely going to be the hardest place I've ever had to say goodbye to, and I've said goodbye to a lot of places. I mean, in the time we've been married, we've always moved every three to five years Yep. for <clears throat> the last 30 years, pretty much. Right, over the last well, 25 years. We moved to Bend, we moved to Austin, we moved to England, we moved here. So that's. Yeah, but we moved twice while in England. That's true. And yeah. we moved twice while here. And we moved twice while here. And yeah. And then, you know, before I that. We moved I, twice in Austin too because you had the, the apartment before I moved in with you. There you go, yeah. So, and growing up, I've spent my whole life moving. I grew up on a boat and all that. But you know what? Hey, we're getting deep into personal <laughs> stuff. So I imagine in the next podcast there might be some question uh, uptick because actually this month there are very few questions. We're going to burn through this really fast. But we're not supposed to be getting too deep into the personal stuff right now, so let's go on to some game stuff, starting with Justin, who wonders... Uh, let's see. Wait, wait. Do I have this sorted by correctly? Yes, I do. Justin's wondering, why, why, why do I do so many Kickstarter videos? Have I ever considered doing less of them? So I could do more games that you and that I and my backers want to see. A uh, huge <laughs> number of games on the request list are there, but you know, um, and there are games backers already know they want to see. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the first place. I know we'll eventually get a run through, but the list is always increasing. Doing less Kickstarters would also mean less rule books you have to read through. <laughs> well, I think I have to read through rule books for any game, but uh, to see whether or not. Oh, you can even stomach doing Kickstarter in the first place. Here's the deal. Um, first of all, Justin, I am going to have to disagree. Wait, why do I keep saying you're Justin? Because, oh, oops, I've done that backwards. This question was asked by Dave. 
<laughs> sorry, Justin. Justin, I'm sorry. Oh, what a bait and switch. We'll get to you in a second, Justin. Dave wants to know all of this. Dave, I'm going to have to disagree. Uh, a sizable portion, if not the majority of my viewers, do want to see Kickstarter videos. I know this for a fact based on the stats uh, for my videos. Uh, they do very, very well. And uh, you know, they generally tend to get longer view times. Um, because I, not only can I tell how many people have watched and where they've watched from and their, whether they're male or female and their age and all that stuff, I can also see when they stop. They tend to watch Kickstarter run-throughs more of, uh, of, the, of the complete run-through. They tend to watch more in general. I know this from direct feedback I've got from viewers. More people do than don't want to watch Kickstarter videos, which is why I do them, because the majority of my audience does want them. And really, the reality is, yeah, uh, a game I run through is a Kickstarter, but you know, in a year's time, it's still a run-through. Now it's a run-through for a commercial game. I could run through it in a year's time, or I can run through it now. It takes the same amount of time either way. And the thing is, when it comes out a year later, there's probably going to be lots of information that people can use to decide whether they want to get it. When it's on Kickstarter, there's not going to be very much information. And in fact, I would suspect my video would be one of, if not the only true representation to get an idea of what it feels like to play. Yeah, sometimes the developers do their own videos, or uh, you know, and there's other ones, but I mean, I, uh, there are very few run-throughs available. So, in all honesty, one of the main reasons I do Kickstarters is because one, I know the audience wants them, and two, I know they are providing a greater service at that point than at any other time. And three, in all honesty, I mean, I like doing it. I like being a part of, you know, uh, uh, plucky upstart's attempt to try to make a dream come true, and I like helping people. I, I know for a fact that if I do a run-through for a game that's on Kickstarter, it will do better. No two ways about it, just because a lot more people will know about it than they might have otherwise heard. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, so I can have a really big impact. Often, I have a really big impact on the overall quality of the game because they're still working out final stuff, and I can give them feedback on the rulebook. I can give them feedback on the game. A lot of games have had additional things added or modified based on the feedback I've given them. So that's very gratifying for me, too. And yeah, so that's basically what it boils down to. I mean, it, to me, it's nothing but win, 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 win. Uh, to do Kickstarter games. Another thing, this is kind of a dumb reason, but for me to do run-throughs of retail games, after I'm done, I've still got the game and I've got no place to put it. If I do a run-through of a Kickstarter game, after Jen and I have played it a few times, then I've run through it, oh, okay, well, I, I don't have any space issues to worry about trying to find a place to put the final retail game or figure out what to do with it. So, yeah, a, a Kickstarter game's cool. Sure, there's downsides to it as well. Uh, they are not always ready for prime time, and it can be a bit more frustrating to try and muscle through them, as my wife Jen can certainly attest. I can attest. Jen will, and has, therefore attested. <laughs> but still, for me, the um, positives outweigh the negatives, and so that's why I do it. At the end of the day, I think it's probably the single most useful service that Rado runs through serves, period. And so, that's why I do it, and as long as I keep doing Rado runs through, I think I'll keep doing it? Maybe. As I just said a few minutes ago, though, <laughs> right, these days we have more questions than answers, so it's kind of hard to say. But anyway, so that was it, Dave. Now, Justin, you have been very, very patient. I got to know what Justin wants to know. Justin wants to know five things, oh, honey pie. Oh, my goodness. Well, Justin let's... is getting a five for one. <laughs> Question number one. 
Honey, yes. what is your favorite board game accessory? <sighs> this gonna... should be a really easy answer for you. Well, of course I like my own glass. Okay. So well, I'll say that. I, I always try and play with my own glass pieces. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, you are my favorite gaming oh. accessory. <laughs> oh, wow. I couldn't play without you. I wouldn't have as much fun. Yes. I was going to, you know, aside from those obvious answers, yes, yeah. of course. Yeah, but uh, a big one for us, I actually just talked about in my recent top 10 uh, best produced games, these little plastic transparent oh. discs yep. that I was first introduced to in Swing and Jive Cat Voodoo Lounge. If you go watch that run through or my top 10 produce games, you'll see them was that in, in action. Was the prototype of that? Yeah, they originally came in the prototype. And then you had to prototype. send that on, didn't you? You yes. sent it to somebody in England, and I was like, no! Those discs are the discs. greatest thing ever. They are my favorite board game accessory. Yep. Other than you and my own glass. <laughs> they are my third favorite accessory. That's exactly what Jen said on yeah, that day. Right. Mm -hmm. you, <laughs> so, no, it's like you were there. Those things are fantastic. We have found uses for them in lots and lots of games. Uh, I, I, obviously, both Jen and I enjoy Jen's glass made with love. And we both enjoy each other. Yeah. <laughs> as accessories, which was an odd one. But yeah, I would have to say, for me anyway, those are a quick number three. Would you agree, Honey Pie? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I do love those. Okay, Justin continues. Have you ever or will you ever try Warhammer 40K or another tabletop war game with Jen? No. No. Question number three. What is the <laughs> game that stresses you out, but you still love playing it? I don't know. <laughs> Jen was making faces like she was going to say something, so I just let it go quiet for a minute, oh. and then she left us hanging, and she gave us nothing. I think any kind of a cooperative that starts out hard and stays hard. Right, but you just out. refuse to play those. So, I mean, because the question was, love playing it. Mm. And Jen and I have found more and more and more. Okay, pandemic then, because pandemic is can get really, really hard, but I still love playing it. it does it stress you out? Really? No, See, I would. No, yeah, it's the thing. No. It's not that stressful. It really isn't. Maybe it was. No, nah, I don't think it's ever really been that stressful. I think trying to feed your villagers and coming up with the food in Agricola is more stressful than that. Um, hmm. Yeah, I know. But I mean, to feel actual stress while playing, I don't know. I mean, the heavier it gets, the more stressful it is just because you're having to balance more stuff. It's stressful whether you're going to. Be able to take care of your Juns and pets because you don't know exactly what they're going to want and what you're going to be able to do for them. I mean, there's stress in lots of games, but... I don't know. I mean, we just played CO2. Yeah. What was that one? Yeah, CO2. What was the first one called? CO2. Okay, well, the second CO2 then. C yeah, we played the sequel, CO2 Second Chance. Second Chance, We okay. played the cooperative version of it. Yep. And so that's the thing. Uh, CO2, which I'll be doing a run-through for shortly, you might have already seen it before you've even heard this, is uh, now has a full cooperative mode you can play, and it is very, very heavy and hard-hitting and stress-inducing. And the thing is, the I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Jen did not like that at all. Nope. And I was reminded once again, I, I, I just fundamentally do not get her perspective that if it's a co-op that pushes you really, really hard and is cruel and unrelenting, Jen <laughs> just completely tunes out and says, I'm not having fun, I don't care. But a competitive game where the game is cruel and unrelenting, Jen has no problem with it. But as soon as it's a cooperative, I mean, because 
we both love CO2 as a cooperative game, or as a competitive game, or as a semi-competitive game. But as soon as it went cooperative, Jen didn't like it because she does not like hard, stressful co-ops. Yep. So to answer your question, I don't think there is a game that stresses Jen out that she enjoys. Because if it stresses her out, there's no way she's going to enjoy playing it. And I don't know. I don't think I get stressed playing games. I get excited. I get nervous. Maybe I get anxious waiting for a card to flop. But I don't think I get stressed. So I refute the question. And let's move on to number four. <laughs> what is a game that is very relaxing to play? Oh, golly. Most of them, I think. I, mm -hmm. I find them relaxing, don't you? Sure. Um, I'm trying to think of something with a lovely, you know, sort of calm. Like the panda one with the bamboo. Yeah, but we hated that game. I know, but it was very calming and relaxing feeling. The yeah. And stuff was. Mm. I suppose so. Except it was so infuriating because it was such a terrible game. <laughs> um, I just don't understand why you're not saying roll for the galaxy. That's your obvious go-to yeah. if you just want to zone out and just play a game for 15 or 20 minutes and just roll a bunch of dice. I mean, I think that's just kind of a no-brainer for you, isn't it? Yeah. I was going to say that, but I, I do enjoy it. It's not just calming and relaxing. It's a good, fun game. Yeah. And if you've got your, your civilization working along, it, it can be very exciting. Okay. Well, then that's so. not... I take it back. It's not calming, nor is it relaxing. <laughs> okay, but it is nice because it's a game I know really well, so I don't have to... Yeah, that's why I meant. You, know, you, you can almost and... at this point you can almost play it on autopilot, yeah. which I would think it kind of has a zen, relaxing thing. But you just said it's exciting, and therefore you don't get relaxed. Well, that's if you get all your stuff working. If you if you pull the right tiles and mm -hmm. you get a nice synergy going. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's all I can say. Yeah, mm, relaxing. I play relax. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I mean, it's just that particular one we played so much. I mean, it just. You know, almost plays itself now. So that's kind of the one that popped into my head, in all honesty, aside from, from Jen. Uh, but I figured it'd be for her, too. But, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I don't think we play games to relax or to stress. I mean, they don't really engender either of those things. They engage us. Yep. And, it, you know, being mentally stimulated and engaged is neither stress-inducing nor particularly relaxing when it boils right down to it. I mean, truly relaxing games are ones we tend not to like because they're just so super-duper featherweight simple. We're like, yeah, okay. I could see how, you know, this, you know, I mean, we're just like, there's nothing here. I mean, and we don't get engaged and we, yeah, but we just don't relax. Uh, mm. We watch TV to relax. Yeah, well, we pet puppies to relax. Exactly, yeah. Number five, in a hypothetical world, if you and Jen were the co-designers of a game, what genre and setting would you like to create the game in? Mm. Alternate timelines. Yep. Yes, that's about the 50th time that question has been <laughs> answered with that particular, or some offshoot of that question. Um, and yet, in spite of that, Jen will not watch Man from High Castle. The Nazis won World War II, America won. Oh, you're like, it was so dark. <laughs> and yet it's always her go-to, I want alternate timelines, except for this one. I want good alternate timelines. <laughs> Other happy possibilities. I do not want to live in the darkest timeline. <clears throat> Okie doke. So, uh, yeah. I, don't know. I, 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 I like... 
I like Renaissance era trading in the Mediterranean type themes. That's probably, if I were to, for, if somebody put a gun to my head and made me design a game, I'd probably just design a game in that era. I have no great love for it in terms of a genre setting, but it just works so well. It's just so well suited to Euro style gameplay mechanisms. So it's just kind of a no brainer, and that's what I like to play. So, moving on. Kelly says that she has more of a suggestion than a question. Hmm. How about a favorite game Friday? A day where you play a game that you guys want. It could be the usual gameplay run through or just a game with Jen if she wants to join. Something along those lines. We used to try to do this on Sundays. We used yeah. to try to say, hey, you know what? Every Sunday we're just going to play a game we want to play. We're going to get out Agricola. We're going to get out Dungeon Pets. We're going to get out Nations. We're going to get out Suburbia. Something <laughs> we have no reason at all to play other than we just love it and we're going to play it. And that lasts, I think, for all of three weekends. <laughs> and it just... It, it could not keep up. I mean, the, the reality is there's just too many things for me to run through. And I, I, because of Jen's very, very scattershot availability for playing, because at any given time she might have no work or she might be completely drowning in work, <laughs> depending on how many orders she's having to fill, how much glass she's having to melt on any given day. There, there, we, we just can't do it. Um, Jen's schedule uh, is very mercurial. And so I, I just, it just, it fundamentally didn't work. And, uh, you know, and quite so anytime that we do have an opportunity to get to the table, it's got to be to keep moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and I don't to be know. honest, I think too, I only have so much brain power mm-hmm. and um, I don't want to waste <laughs> one day's worth of it on a game that I love when I know that there are a pile of other games that yeah. need to get played. Yeah. So. yeah. The previous question about stress. There's a way we can induce stress mm. is try to enjoy a game when, you know, there's a queue of 15 games we should be playing right now. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of hard to enjoy this. Yeah. And we don't feel stressed about not playing our favorite games because it's not like they're self-destructing on our shelves. They'll be there when we're not so busy. Yeah. And it's not like we're not enjoying the games that we're playing. True. I don't know. I, I seem to think that people are more worried about this than I am. Oh, poor Rado and Jen <laughs> having to play all the greatest, coolest, new, hottest games. Oh, woe is them. It's really cool. Yes. I like playing new games. I know Jen would like to revisit stuff more often, but she likes playing new games too. Yep. Uh, you know, I mean, there's nothing more stimulating than learning a new game and seeing how it goes. And Jen and I, we've played so many games now, we pick up games very, very fast. Yep. I never understand when other reviewers say, you're going to have to play this two or three times to really grok it. I, that never happens to us. We generally fully grok a game within two... I mean, I'm not saying we're expert players, but we get the rhythms and the flow and can see where it's going. That's because you're an awesome explainer, honey pie. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you to say. Uh, anyway, yeah, Kelly is bummed to hear... Uh, bums out hearing excited about so many games but needing to wait for them to pass voting. Mm. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Well, no. well, that's the thing. A game isn't going to even go onto a ballot to be voted unless I want to play it. Uh, that's another thing. People keep thinking that, I, that we're being forced against our will to play games that we don't want to play because of those gosh darn voters who always keep choosing things that we don't want. Forgetting the fact, it doesn't make it onto the ballot in the first place <laughs> unless I already wanted to play the game. Um, so really, if, if the voters weren't choosing, I would as much... I, okay, let's flip a coin. Uh, you know, I've got I've got 20 games here to play. Which one are we going to play? Well, I can pick pick the purple one just because Jen likes purple, or we can pick the one that the voters really want to see the most. I mean, it's it's fine. Uh, um, yeah, it's not. We are not being held hostage in any way, shape, or form. Indeed, yes. Moving on though to Griffin. 
Griffin. wonders. That's a cool name. Griffin, ha well, I'd like to know if our pets have ever ruined a gaming experience. Knock over the table. Ate the board game piece. Caused the ruckus. <laughs> any gaming funny, any funny gaming with pet moments? Well, they're, n they're not allowed on the table, so. Oh, they're not allowed on the table, yes. <laughs> I've just been. Uh, um, no, I think sometimes they bark at stuff outside the door. Because we've got a big glass door. Other than that, I don't think so. Right. Um, Jen's very confused because I'm actually <laughs> trying to speak he's, to her via sign language. He's pantomiming. So. Here's the thing. We're sitting on the couch. Jen has got a mic on her chest. She keeps <laughs> looking down at Daisy while she talks and ends up blowing directly into oh, her mic nonstop. Okay. And I'm just like, honey, if you could just not look directly at your mic while you're talking, that'd be fantastic. And he's blowing like into the air and looking I'm, I'm up trying to just you know, project in another thinking, direction, honey pie. Is this some story I'm supposed to remember about our no, dogs interrupting no, no. a game? Uh, the dogs are pretty well behaved. <laughs> about the worst thing I can think of is, uh, speaking of microphones, uh, the first lapel mic I bought turned out to be really fantastic. I liked it a lot. Used it, never had any problems with it, and then Daisy chewed through it. Just totally destroyed it. So I bought like four replacements for it off of eBay, and every one of them has been a piece of crap. Uh, so now, I mean, Jen and I, we are trying to sit as absolutely stock still as possible because they pick up just rustling movement on our clothes, and they, um, you know, we put the little wind socks on them, but they still just pick up errant breaths, and uh, you know, they, they tend to glitch out more. It's really annoying. Certainly one thing I'm looking forward to being back in the States is buying something, and if it doesn't work it, being able to return it. As opposed to yeah. in Malta, oh, well, we bought something, we sent it here, yeah, it's crap. It'll cost more to get this thing returned, and maybe they'll accept the return, maybe they won't. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to just being able to buy things and return them when they don't work out. So, sorry, that's totally besides the point. But Griffin, the worst thing a daisy did chew through, the best microphone cable I ever had. And ever since then, I've had miserable microphone luck. And it's just been getting worse and worse and worse in the last couple months. I don't know if people notice. Maybe I'm just more picky about it than listeners are. But anyway, let's move on to, a, to David again. Dave has another question. I'd like to know... Uh, oh, yeah. So... He noticed Wendake, or Wendake, I believe is how you pronounce it. When it was on Kickstarter, he was surprised that I didn't do a run-through for it. Was that by choice? Did they not contact me about doing a run-through? It was by choice, actually. They did contact me, and it was one that I read the rules for. And I thought, wow. If, I, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it's the one where your action selection has to do with a little grid of tokens, and you... It's kind of almost an alms type thing, but I remember it was different. I remember thinking, that sounds really cool. I would like to experience that. Oh no, the entire game is a big tug of war area control game. Sigh. Great action selection me mechanism to do actions we don't want to do, and I passed on it. It's too bad. It looks really cool. I like the subject matter. I like that, but it's just we don't want to pay a tug of war back and forth area control game. So that's why I passed. Daniel says, I mostly play games with my wife, but with our busy working week and hectic family life, getting games to the table is becoming increasingly more difficult. He recently picked up this War of Mine and Gloomhaven, and he's been playing them solo. Uh, also, Robinson Crusoe, but he's wondering, can I recommend good multiplayer games that can also be enjoyed solo? Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't really play games solo. I very rarely do it. 
Sometimes I do because Jen's just not available to help me run through the game at all. But it's not that often. Or if I'm in England for a month. Yep, that, yeah. Really, that's going to be the kind of question you're better off going on Board Game Geek and asking folks. In fact, in fact, Daniel, if you go to faq.rado.com and check out, let's see, which one is it? Question number five on my FAQ, you'll find my answer because it's asked a lot. Uh, sorry I can't help more, David, but yeah, neither Jen nor I are really solo gamers. I spent almost my entire life playing games solo in the form of video games. Now I play them with my wife. Hopefully you can find more time. Stacy has three questions. Thoughts on Freedom the Underground Railroad compared to Raid on Tohaiku, or uh, Tayoku. Uh, Tayoku, Raid on Tayoku. I don't know if Jen will remember either of these games. They were both competitive or cooperative games, honey. One was we were trying to smuggle slaves from the deep south to the north and avoiding the slave catchers and all that. And it was dripping with all the historical stuff. And then the other one we played more recently. We were a family of uh, living in Taiwan during the World War II American-led bombing of Taipei. And we're trying to survive. Remember, it was the one where you could eat the family dog. And, uh, uh, yeah, and, and you traveled around, and Grandpa had to go find the stuff, and, yep. and little daughter, ha- yeah, I think, I forget who, which characters, or no, I think you played mother, and you were a really good cook, which was good, because we kept finding rancid food. Yep, and Honey. I could eat it, but I wouldn't give it to you guys. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 no that, no, that was the thing, that you, no, your special power was that you wanted to sacrifice and give food to everybody else, because you wouldn't eat food only for yourself. I think that's what it was. Because, because, you know, as the mother, you just, you would put everybody else before you. Yeah. Honey, um, what are your thoughts on those two games compared <laughs> to each other? Um, well, I thought that Underground Railroad was uh, a very interesting game in and amongst itself. It had really good gameplay. And even though some of the subject matter was dark and, you know, sad, um, I thought the game itself was a good game. And the other one, which I don't even... I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it. But the other one that you're talking about. Yeah, Taioku. Taioku. Um, I thought it was an interesting game, but it just wasn't very good for two players. We um, we played it, and it was fine, but I didn't find it particularly challenging or yeah. gameplay-y. Yeah. Um, of course, the story was also sad, and <laughs> I'm sorry, trying to remember not to look down at my chest <laughs> and breathe. Um yeah, I just I, I I thought for the game experience of actually playing a game, it just wasn't as a very good one. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I, I talked about that in my final thoughts on Tayoko as well. I think Tayoko, it's if you're going to play it as a two player game, you should play it as a four with each player controlling two players because that's clearly what it's designed to do. I, I think the two player rules were just they could have been better. Um, so that's a, that's a I would agree with Jen's comparison. Well done, Honey Pie. Honey, oh well, no, you can't because you didn't. You refused to play it. Uh, so this is a question to me. What is my favorite role to play in U-Boat and why? Uh, Did well, I refuse the to na- play this game? No, this is one I went and played with Andre because you ah, didn't play it. Okay. The navigator is by far the coolest role and by far the hardest role, and it is very very neat. And, you know, because it feels so realistic. Because you are truly doing the stuff that navigators of the time would have to do. You know, sighting by the stars and, and all that stuff. It's really very, very cool. But by the same token, it is so high stress. 
Uh, I, I, I don't think I would, I, you know, I've only played that role by myself. I have not played that in a group setting, and I don't think I'd want that level of stress on myself with the timer ticking. And so I'm going to say I'm gonna, the first officer because I enjoyed playing with the app. Uh, so that one would probably be my answer. And what, hang by. I just thought of some games that make me feel stressed out. Oh, good. Yep. Takes a little while. But um, real-time games, which are under the clock, and there's a clock ticking. Yes. I, that makes me feel stressed. Mm-hmm. That is the opposite of the relaxing. Yes. Okay, I'm just mentioning. Okay. To go back to that other question. Okay. Does that mean you don't like them? Sometimes I don't like them. Mm-hmm. Quite a few games we don't play that are real-time because I don't like that mm-hmm. additional stress level. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sure you can think of a few. I don't think I... Yeah, I'm not sure. You've pretty much enjoyed the real-time games, and I didn't um, know that... I'm learning new things that they... I mean, well, obviously, yes, they're implicitly stressful, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, feeling stress is, has a very real world connotation to me that I don't, I just don't, don't tend to apply to games, I guess. Mm. But anyway, I didn't realize how in demand your Villages of Valeria promo card is until I got into a bidding war in an auction. <laughs> I know you talked about not doing promos for Kickstarter in the past, but what about an individual sales site or other distribution message? You know, for the fans. It's a good idea, Stacy, but I don't know. I always feel weird about those things anyway. Uh, you know, a, a lot more of them get offered to be made than actually get made. I mean, like like the Valeria one, I was really excited about that because I, I love the Miko's artwork so much. So it was just so cool to see him do a picture of me and whatnot. But, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of getting, you know, if, if I'm profiting from that, then that means the publisher's, are, I, I'm entering into a business relationship with the publisher, and that's just not something I'm comfortable doing. It's why I don't accept payment for any run-throughs I do, and that would be kind of too close to accepting payment to my way of thinking. So that's probably a non-starter. And anyway, Honey Pie, oh my gosh, that was it. Holy cow. Yes, so tell you what, folks, we're almost done. I uh, will go to the, what do you call them, the private or the personal questions, <laughs> uh, which are even shorter than this in just a few minutes, but... Yeah, I guess that's it. Otherwise, yeah. Uh, you know, more questions, the questions are raw.com. Otherwise, we'll be back next month and hopefully we'll have a better idea of exactly what we're doing. <laughs> uh, and so, thanks for listening. Have a very, very nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye bye. Bye bye. And now, if you'd like to hang around, we'll be right back. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the personal question and answers. There are only two emails this month. Okay. Um, and I think amongst them, only three questions in total. So this is going to be pretty quick. I guess people are getting sick and tired of hearing about us, honey pie. Uh, maybe we've answered everything we can. Yep, yeah. Our, our lives are too much of an open book. They've run out of questions. Although, as always, questions at raw.com <laughs> if you'd like to learn more. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know what else there is to hear. But anyway, uh, Griffin is back and wonders... Would you ever change your format to do more, to do a more of do you, would you ever change your format to a more of a do you kind of thing? (laughs) Uh, Rather than people choosing what you play, since that may be more fun for you. Actually, Griffith, I mean, that's really kind of a game show related question. Not so much for a personal question, but coincidentally, we talked about it just a few minutes ago. Um, because 
the, the very first video I ever did was in response to people asking for it. The next 10 videos I did were response for people asking for it. I've always taken requests. And again, people can't request games I don't want to film. So I, I'm not, it's not really that much of an issue. Sometimes there are games that I'm really excited about. But you know what? There are only three games that are voted on every month. I put out about 20 videos every month. So I'm still picking the lion's share of them. And let's see, Griffin also wonders, how soon did you two think the other person was your soulmate? Ah, how and do you have any you? relationship tips you wish to you wish you could tell your younger self? Griffin just entered his first college romance. So honey, when did you know I was your soulmate? Oh. Um, gosh. I guess it was when you accepted my proposal. Ha! All right. Yeah. Okay. Because I had pretty clear terms and you accepted them. Mm -hmm. So. By the way, that proposal would be a proposal of marriage, everybody. Yeah. Just FYI. Uh, we were had been dating <laughs> I didn't say for. say proposition. Yeah, I yeah. said proposal. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, a proposal doesn't have to be a proposal of marriage. We'd been dating and living together for a few years at that point. Not a few years. Yeah. Like two years at least. <sighs> Let's see. Yeah, okay. Go on. You tell yeah. the story. No, there's not a story. Well, it's... Well, we, we couldn't have been... Maybe two years, yeah. Yeah, that's, I, I would think, yeah, a couple of years we got married probably. when I was 21 and you were 22. Yeah, yeah. And we met when we were 18. Mm -hmm. So I guess that would be a maximum of three years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think we were dating for six months and then we moved in together. So we were probably living together for two... Somewhere yeah. between two and three years before you... See, Jen calls it a proposal. <laughs> I'd call it more of an ultimatum. <laughs> I think I that would be the more technically correct <laughs> definition <laughs> of the event. clarification of our future plans. Yes, because Jen knew from a very early age she wanted to get married ASAP. And she didn't want to waste any time with me if I wasn't um, down to marry. And so yep. we, we were at Dick's Drive-In on Queen Anne Hill, weren't we? No. We're about to go see a movie in the... Uh, no, that was when you asked me to move in with you. Oh, was it? Yeah, okay. It's all it's all a blur to me. Yeah. I, I don't remember any particular... I just... I remember this is what happened. No, I think it was in the apartment that we lived in for a year together before we moved into the little blue house. But anyway, uh, basically, I just said, hey, this is where I'm going. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm just letting you know this is what I want. This is what I expect. This is where I'm going. Yeah. Um, if you want to be part of that, I would love for you to be the man of my life. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, then you should probably let me know because I'm, <laughs> this is what I want. She also made some uh, strong financial arguments having to do with the fact that as a young man, my car insurance would be really, really horrible uh, or continue to be really, really high premiums unless I got married, which would actually bring them down quite a bit and other and similar financial working, benefits. You were working at Nintendo at the time, weren't you, or yes. something? So yeah, I could get on your health insurance if we got married, mm -hmm. which I didn't have health insurance where yeah. I was. So there were some, there were some financial Yeah, I'm sorry to say... Well. Uh, Griffin, there, uh, the, it really, there were no big romantic Hollywood movie bombshell swell the music as we looked deep into each other's <laughs> eyes and realized this is it. It was, it was much more practical well, and, um, we and pragmatic. Yeah, yeah. We were compatible. It was just and we kind of a no-brainer. Jen and had her agenda, and I'm like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. We'll go with it. Yep. And so we did. Um, so, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, are we soulmates? 
I mean, we're just really, really compatible, and we love each other a lot. Does yeah. that? Does, I mean, I don't know. I know. I guess I'm probably just being too persnickety, uh, you know, because to be a soulmate prescribes the requirement of there being a soul and all of that stuff. And as an atheist, I don't really go for that. But I get the <laughs> idea. I understand what you mean. And no, I, I just don't think. I mean, our our relationship is just like a very natural, growing, evolving thing. It's it's yeah, best friends, really. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then started. To, I mean. I, I would have thought you. I would have thought you would have mentioned your big moment was when you cut my hair. You've always said that that was like a big. Oh, oh yeah. not only do I like this guy, he's actually kind of cute, or something like that, that's right? True. Well, yeah, but I think that's not soulmate. That's hormonal. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah, because he he actually had hor- uh, shaggy. Oh dear. Kind of a old school Beatles mop top kind yeah. of a thing. In in a completely unkept way. Yep. And so the first time I cut his hair. Thus emerged a what I consider handsome man. Yeah. And I thought, ooh, well, there. That ticks <laughs> one of my boxes. <laughs> so that was good. And yeah. he didn't mind because I cut his hair for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was and a good... And absence ever... Yeah, I think you've paid one other person to cut your hair. When, when, we, moved, when we moved from Texas to England and we were on the road for three months, I think we, I got a haircut we, yeah, we on the road. Yeah, we got a TGI... Fridays or something. I don't think they cut your hair at a TGI what's Fridays. The, what's the cheap place that cuts hair? I Supercuts? Supercuts. Fine. Or TGI Fridays. Sure. <laughs> Thank God it's cut. I don't know what I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. It's like 20 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. Okay. And yeah, so that, those were Griffin's personal questions. And then Henrik once again reminds Jen that she needs to share... Her monthly, her wisdom of the month. Oh, wisdom of the month. Okay. And I told Jen, hey, you got to have something pretty quick. Yep. So she's still sitting on the couch. She's got her phone. And apparently she's looked up something. She's got you covered, Henrik. Honey, yes. let's go out with some wisdom. Okay. So I just found this recently on Pinterest and I thought it was very good. So here you go. If you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you are anxious, you are living in the future. If you are at peace, you're living in the present. And that is attributed to Lao Tzu. Okay. Lao Tzu knocked it out of the park with the past, future, present analogy. All right. Honey, are you depressed, anxious, or at peace? Actually, I'm kind of excited. I I feel kind of ready for the next phase of our lives together. So I guess I'm sort of living partially... The famous saying doesn't have anything to do with that. I know, but I'm not anxious. I don't feel anxious. That's, I guess that means we're doing the right thing. Then that means you're living in the present and you're in peace. There you go. All right. And that's it, folks. Another one on the books, all done. In the and can. as always, yes, in the can. As always, if, send more questions to questions at raw.com. If you don't, this podcast is going to get shorter and shorter. <laughs> Um, Which maybe you like. Uh, yeah, hey, yeah, maybe that's a good thing. Who knows? <laughs> but otherwise, that's it once again. Thanks very much for listening. Have a very, very nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>